Good morning, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of the MacGyver Newsmaker Podcast. I'm Brett Healy, president of the John K. MacGyver Institute for Public Policy, and we are excited to have you join us for what is surely to be another lively yet informative conversation on the hot topics of the day. A quick reminder before we get started. With the continuing censorship of conservatives and ideas that do not fit their preferred radical socialism dogma by big tech, please take a second to sign up for the MacGyver Institute newsletter at MacGyverInstitute.com. While big tech will hide and throttle our content from you on Facebook and other social media platforms, signing up for our email newsletter is a direct connection and the only way you can be sure that you will receive MacGyver's timely and spot-on analysis that you will not see anywhere in the mainstream media direct to your inbox. Now on to today's conversation. We welcome Congressman Glenn Grothman to the MacGyver Newsmaker podcast to talk about the debacle that is Afghanistan, the bipartisan non-infrastructure infrastructure deal, and the $3.5 trillion, yes, trillion with a T, budget deal. Uh, welcome, Congressman Grothman. We thank you for taking the time today to speak with us on the MacGyver Newsmaker, Newsmaker podcast. Uh, I think we want to start today with the topic that's grabbing all the headlines, and that's Afghanistan. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about um, what you know is going on in Afghanistan and the latest that, on all that's happening there? It's a disaster. Uh, we're going to have another private briefing tomorrow and learn more about the topic. But we'd had several hearings over the last four months on one of my subcommittees, and I felt all along that the representatives of the administration, the representatives of the military, were ridiculously over-optimistic on the ability of the Afghan army to defend itself. Afghanistan is one of those countries that I'd say, in a, a certain degree, is not a real country. You know, it's just lines drawn on a map by Europeans years ago. And like most countries like that, like Iraq, uh, it seems as though their military doesn't take a great deal of pride in their country. I've also talked to uh, former people who were in the military over there, and they felt that we were not particularly well-liked over there and were not that optimistic over the future of the Afghan military. Now, I'm speaking to, you know, 21, 22-year-olds who I think, quite frankly, know a lot more about Afghanistan than the so-called experts. But it is a disaster. We look forward to asking some questions to the administration. It particularly amazes me that so much of our equipment uh, wound up get, getting taken over by the Taliban. You figure in this day and age with drones and such, we could have destroyed our equipment if we would if, if we couldn't get it out of there. And do you have any thoughts as to how our so-called experts could get it so wrong? And quite frankly, just how quickly the whole situation deteriorated? I think our experts are, you know, maybe typical of what I'll call the credentialed overeducated class. And they think that everybody is, um, thinks like people do, say in Washington, D.C. or New York City or something. And they don't understand the degree to which, I guess I'll say the average Afghan uh, infantryman or average Afghan person in the military views the world. They are not amenable to the United States pushing, uh, say, a very liberal social agenda on people. It's probably difficult enough to have people come in speaking a strange language, uh, very different religion, much less having people um, come in 
who have a very unusual, if I could put it that way, um, I think the Americans who represent us over there have a very, very socially liberal view of the world, which of course people in, in Afghanistan are gonna view with contempt and they are not gonna fight to the death, uh, maybe the degree to which they could have um, for our ideology or the ideology, I, I guess I'll say, of the uh, educated classes on the East Coast. Uh, you mentioned that you've had hearings on this in a subcommittee. Uh, do you believe President Biden when he tells the American public that none of his advisors, close advisors, argued against such a dramatic and quick departure? I've talked to a, a Republican congressman who claimed to have been in the ro room with the administration where not only Republicans, but Democrats told the administration that bad things were going to happen. So I find it hard to believe this, this, this did not cross his mind. Um, I personally expect that I was, obviously was not in the room with uh, President Biden's advisors, but I am told Republicans and Democrats uh, gave him a much more pessimistic view of what would happen if he tried to pull out so abruptly. And clearly a pessimic, pessimistic view that he chose to ignore and made his decision on his own then. Correct, correct. And now we have a disaster. And it's not only a disaster with regard to Afghanistan. America looks weak to the world. You know, whether you look at the countries to the north of Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, that sort of thing, or whether you're looking at countries in the Pacific Rim or anywhere else around the world, you have to ask yourself, can we count on the United States? I mean, after all, we were in a position in which I believe no American combat troops were killed for about over a year and a half right now. Uh, I don't believe. So it's not like uh, we were, it was a very expensive, uh, in that regard, uh, very expensive to say there. But despite the fact that we were under a great deal of pressure, we decided to leave rather abruptly and completely in a disorganized fashion. I mean, it just plain, I think, makes the United States look worse, perhaps even worse than we did in South Vietnam. And, and how confident are you that President Biden and the U.S. government can rely on the goodwill and benevolence of the Taliban to get to allow us to extract Americans and other Afghan Afghanis out of out of the airport? Well, we'd be a lot more confident we had a stronger president. I, switching to another issue we'll take up later. I felt the inability to secure the southern border where you're having over 100,000 people a month come in this country, shows that our president is weak. I mean, how many countries literally can't control their own border? And um, I think looking at that, uh, the Taliban have to wonder whether there would be any consequences in ignoring any deal with uh, President Biden. And last question on this. Uh, the uh, President Biden and his supporters have tried to place some of the blame at the feet of former President uh, Donald Trump. Can you walk our, through our listeners once and for all? Um, does President Trump have any uh, blame here or was this uh, a decision that President Biden made and only made once he was in office? Well, I think the big difference is when President Trump left, he had a reputation of somebody who would follow through with a threat, okay? And if this type of stuff was pulled when, when President Trump was president, I think there would have been consequences. 
And because the Taliban knew there would have been consequences, they wouldn't have behaved in this fashion. All right, uh, moving on. Our, originally, we reached out to you uh, way back when to talk about uh, some of the uh, budget deals and other uh, going on at uh, in D.C. So let's turn our attention to some of that. Uh, sure. Originally, the first bill that uh, passed was a a large uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill, and then shortly thereafter, a uh, partisan budget bill also started making its way through the, the Congress. Can you bring our listeners up to speed on uh, uh, on these gigantic spending bills? Sure. Well, as your listeners already know, the Democrats control both the Senate and the House of Representatives. So they determine which bills we'll have a chance to vote on. Um, there were two bills that passed the Senate, the uh, original infrastructure bill, which is about $1.2 trillion, and another larger bill going through a process called reconciliation of $3.5 trillion. So that is spread out over 10 years. Um there are, we'll call them the radicals in the Democrat Party, do not want to vote on the infrastructure bill without the other rather large bill as well. Meanwhile, there are a few moderates. Right now, we believe that there are about nine moderates who uh, would be willing to vote for the infrastructure bill, but on a condition that the more radical bill not pass, or they will not go along with the more radical bill. So you have two parts of the Democrat Party at odds right now. I think there are problems with both bills. Um, for one, when I think of infrastructure, I think of things like roads and bridges, also to a certain amount, locks and dams, things uh, that would affect, say, my district along Lake Michigan. Um, we would, I think an average person would feel that too much of this infrastructure bill is not on traditional infrastructure, too much is on other things. Uh, the additional $550 billion that's added, only one-fifth of that is for roads and bridges. So obviously that's a big problem. The Democrats traditionally are, are not in favor of things that cars and trucks drive on, like roads. And as a result, I don't think they're probably putting as much in there as one would expect. Um, on the larger bill, it's opened up to a variety of things that would uh, change the scope of, of America from here on out. One thing that caught my eye, uh, we're going to have the federal government pay for third and four-year-old preschool. You know, and then traditionally in this country, the government begins to pick up the kids maybe when they're five years old, some four years old. Now we're making it a first-old three-year-old. So a big change, big increase, not only in cost, but the way in which the federal government is responsible for raising the children. Another thing of concern is University of Community College, which in Wisconsin we refer to technical school for free. The problem with for free is A, it's expensive, and B, I think it changes the nature of technical school if people have no skin in the game, right? If you're going to technical school for absolute free, what's to prevent a very lackadaisical student from just showing up and you know not really trying very hard and changing the culture of the tech schools? So those are two examples of significant changes in the way Americans would live if the, uh, the large package ever became law. There are a lot of other provisions in there which are not as fiscal related, uh, but all of them in a very liberal bent and very much concern. I'm not sure under the rules of the Senate if a bill like that, uh, was, which was a freestanding bill, 
would ever be able to get through. But nevertheless, it's a great deal of concern, and it shows the growing radicalness, uh, unfortunately, of the Democrat Party. Right now, as we speak, we're told there are nine Democrats uh, holding up the, uh, the big $3.5 trillion package. Well, you have 321, 322 Democrats, depending on how many openings we have today. Um, the idea that you only have nine Democrats saying no says how radical the Democrat Party has become, which is of concern to all of us, because um, both Republicans and Democrats should want what's best for America, should recognize the values that we've been built on. And it's scary that only nine Democrats are willing to vote there. A few weeks ago, there was a provision uh, that tried to extend the, what they call the eviction moratorium, in which, landlord, which tenants don't even have to pay rent to landlords. There at the time, we were told 16 Democrats held out from that becoming law. Uh, so again, people sometimes ask me, Glenn, how many reasonable Democrats are there? I would say out of 222, 221, I would say we have, depending on the day of the week, uh, 10 to 20 reasonable Democrats, which is to say over 200 unreasonable Democrats, people that would be considered so fringe only 20 years ago. And I think that's an important point. Um, I know uh, some will say that perhaps uh, we at MacGyver are a little too uh, uh, over the top when we try and describe what's going on and, and use the term socialism. But it, it does seem every time we turn around, there is a new proposal from the far left uh, wing of the Democrat Party that is inching us closer, sometimes uh, uh, getting there lightning fast. This whole idea of cradle to grave government in charge of uh, attempting to take care of every single aspect of your life. And I know uh, for some, this idea that uh, tech college should be free sounds great, but it, it is, there's no way around it. It is a step further in the direction of moving us towards socialism. In the past, you would go to technical college in order to better yourself if there was going to be a benefit to you. You would pay the money to the technical college, college in exchange for skills that they were going to teach you that would hopefully lead you to a better life. But now we're just going to make it mandatory and we're going to make it free and then it almost becomes mandatory for people how is that not socialism? Well, right. You, you increase the role of the government and you kind of, I think, destroy the work ethic of the technical colleges. Normally, I think of the technical college student is perhaps being more motivated than the four-year student because it leads directly to a job. But if you're giving away for free, you're absolutely right. A lot of people who aren't sure what they want to do when they're 19 or 20 or 21, why not show up paying out of the tech college? And you may put the amount of effort into it that you are putting into it. And if you're paying nothing in tuition, you're going to show very little effort. But you're right. There are so many big spending programs here. There are clearly, it just would be a much larger role, not just the cost, not just the debt, which bothers me as well, but an increase in the role of government in society. The degree to which more and more people work for government, more and more people depend on government, uh, more and more their world revolves around government. And uh, I think... We're going to beat back this $3.5 trillion package, but it's going to be beaten back by three or four votes in the Senate. Not much. It's the type of thing that could easily become law in two years. 
which would result in a very different sort of America. Some of uh, all of this, uh, some of this depends on a ruling from the parliamentarian of the Senate. Has that occurred? And if not, can you walk our listeners through a little bit about the background on that? Yes, this is why the Democrats couldn't get through the minimum wage earlier. Um, They are proceeding through a process called reconciliation. For many bills, for most bills in the Senate, it takes 60 votes to get by the filibuster and pass them. That's why so much has to be bipartisan in the Senate and why, quite frankly, Congress is much more bipartisan than people know. You can get around it uh, on certain bills that deal with government spending, government debt, government taxation, but you cannot get around it for pure policy. And because some of the things, like getting rid of the Hyde Amendment, uh, some of those things are pure policy, some of us feel that the parliamentarian who is liberal, but as a, as a professional, uh, will say that is not what we want uh, in reconciliation to be used for. So I think some of the policy items would not make it through, even if the bill would make it through, unless we get rid of the filibuster rule altogether, which is something else that is just hanging on because of the support of one or two or three Democrats in the Senate. Um, I know another subject that you've spent a lot of time on and uh, talk about frequently is, uh, as you alluded to earlier in the podcast, the southern border. I know you've been there many, many times. I think you just returned recently from the southern border. Can you bring us up to speed on what's going on down there and what you see as the current situation? Sure. I think it's the biggest uh, problem we have in America. People are talking about Afghanistan all the time, and I don't think they were paying attention when the new numbers came out as far as the number of people let in America in July. Um, It looks to me like about 105,000 people were let in America in July as opposed to 80,000 people, 80,000 people being let in in June. So 25,000 Uh, increase the number of people at a time of year when normally because of the temperature less people are being let in or coming across our southern border. Uh, Furthermore, they are coming across almost entirely with the drug control gangs allowing them across, then paying tribute to the drug control gangs. So as we see more and more people come across, uh, it's much more concerning. Uh, Having been down there, you keep hearing stories of brutality. Um, If our drug control, uh, I'm sorry, if our border patrol approaches people coming across in a boat, whether they're coming across with drugs, whether they're coming across with people, if the border patrol approaches them, the drug gangs think nothing of throwing a three or four year old in the river, knowing that the border patrol will save that child and let them go. we heard a story last time it was down there of somebody not wanting to pay the tribute, not wanting to pay the money um, from Ecuador, and they just shot that guy dead. So that gives you an idea of the brutality, the amount of women who are molested. It's almost expected uh, is how horrible it is for people coming across the border. We have all the um, drugs coming across the border with these people. We recently, for the first time, hit 90,000 Americans dying of illegal drug overdoses in a 12-month period. Much of that is fentanyl. I'd always thought heroin was the worst drug there is. Fentanyl is much more powerful than heroin. 
and is one of the reasons why we hit that 90,000 figure. The other thing I want to point out is the whole world is catching on that Joe Biden is not enforcing the border. When I had been in the California area, area the second most common nationality coming in was Russia. Uh, we at one time pulled over a group or uh, watched Border Patrol pull over 40, 45 people of that group, Russians, gypsies from Romania, as well as Cubans. I don't think people think of every, any one of those three countries as being a major country coming here. A lot of people from Brazil, a lot of people from Ecuador, in addition to the big Central American countries, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Honduras, El Salvador, all of which are coming here as well. So uh, when Kamala Harris says she wants to clean up the things that cause people to come here in other countries, she's really talking about cleaning up the whole world. Um, it's very scary for the country. We obviously cannot wind up in a situation in which we're taking a thousand people a month. I should also point out of that um, thousand, about I'm sorry, a thousand, a hundred thousand a month. In that hundred thousand a month, there are about fifteen thousand unaccompanied minors. And I saw what would be a fenced-off area with kids younger than age seven sitting there sleeping on mats, and not just a few kids, a lot of kids. What the United States does is these kids have on their underwear, on their shirts, uh, an address. And the parents send these kids north with the uh, uh, gangs. Um, when we get them, we give them to a nonprofit organization, frequently cash, Catholic Social Services, and they deliver them to the address the parents want the kids delivered at. So you may have a seven-year-old child working its way up in Mexico, the drug gangs charge a certain amount of money, and we wind up having someone deliver them to wherever they want in the United States. I want to point out that a lot of times these people let the United States have no uh, identification. So we put them on planes without any identification and send them to whatever city they want to go to, which is outlandish. Furthermore, without any identification, we have no way of doing a background check on these folks. And enough do show up with identification that it's amazing the number of people that are trying to sneak in this country who've already committed very serious crimes. So you're going to have a situation in which we have more of that. Um, people coming in all, all across the country um, and people who don't know who they are. So a very dangerous situation in the country. I continue to believe it is the most, uh, the most pressing problem in America was disappointed to see that Kamala Harris was off in Vietnam, was off in Singapore. Again, just spending a perfunctory one day at the border when that is to me where we are really losing the country. So you just described some horrific uh, pictures and uh, situations going on down at the border, uh, throwing a three-year-old, four-year-old over the boat to distract the border patrol uh, is, is, is mind-boggling and, and shocking. Uh, yet, if we didn't have uh, congressmen like you, we wouldn't know about these sort of things. The fact that the second biggest group coming across is of Russian descent uh, on the California border, that you have all sorts of unaccompanied, unaccompanied minors. Back when President Trump was uh, in office, we saw nonstop the images of the cages and the, 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 the steady drumbeat that something had to be done. What can you talk to us a little bit about 
why we're not seeing these images, why we're not seeing these stories, these heartbreaking stories that you talk about? Well, part of it, of course, is certain news networks. I think most of the mainstream media does not like to portray the Biden administration in unfavorable light. And I think some of the conservative networks ought to be covering it more, but I think they're just bored with it. You know, we've been talking about the border for six months. Can we talk about something else? Well, you've got to keep talking about the border. For one thing, you have a news story every month. Like I said, I think in July, we had uh, almost a 30% increase, a 30% increase over the number of people who came here since June. Every month, you have people from different countries. Every month, you have news stories of people who broke the law trying to come in here. Uh, You have people drowning in the Rio Grande, which I think is newsworthy. You have, uh, in the last year, you had 100 people dehydrate to death in the Tucson sector. I think that's newsworthy. But uh, for whatever reason, I think the American uh, media, rather than giving the people all the news, have decided either in the case of MSNBC or that crowd, this is a disaster for the Biden administration. We're not going to tell people about it. And sadly, when we look at Fox and that sort of thing, I think people say, well, we've been covering this story for three months. People are bored. Let's find something else to talk about. And well, 105,000 people crossed last month, fled in this country. I think that's something we should talk about. We should talk about it every day until the problem is solved. And I think one of the reasons the Biden administration, which is finally um, under 50% popularity, but one of the reasons, you know, the number of people who think he's doing a fine job is still in the upper 40s is because they don't understand what's going on on the border and the degree to which the Trump administration had things under control. You know, the Trump administration, there were months there in which well under 10,000 people are coming across as opposed to 105,000. Let's talk about how we can get back there and let's keep alarming the American public so that as America changes or we let people here we don't want here, we realize why that happened and at least give the American people the ability to complain to their congressmen and senators. And maybe this is all with what's going on in Afghanistan. Um, for someone who is listening to you today, for someone who cares about the horrific uh, human rights violations that you just described, um, is there anything that can be done? uh, Call your congressmen, call your senators, call your relatives in different parts of the country and ask them why it's okay to let 105,000 people in here this July when a year ago, we were around 10,000 people. 10,000 to 105,000, that's a pretty dramatic change. Uh, and the best thing then, the only way to maybe perhaps make President Biden and, and Vice President Harris c- care about the southern border is to, to make people uh, People have to call it. in and people have to express their concern with the Biden administration. I think the Democrats begin to turn on Joe Biden when his popularity begins to fall and his popularity should be falling given what happened at the border, given what happened in Afghanistan, given the amount of money we're printing and the amount of inflation that we're having, uh, not to mention, you know, efforts to, to erode the second amendment, uh, efforts to have federal control of elections. But I mean, to me, the big three are the inflation, the uh, Afghanistan situation, the, the, the fan of flames trying to tell the young children how racist and bad America is, uh, but uh, and the border. And you look at these things, uh, as we educate the American public, I would hope 
they would express their disgust to these pollsters. And uh, like I said, politicians like to get reelected. And I think if we can drive down the popularity, um, Joe Biden may change himself a little bit the way he handles these problems. And hopefully the more on the ball members of the Democratic Congress will express their concern to President Biden, as well as begin to vote against his policies. By the way, at the same time we're having this infrastructure bill passed, we are working on the budget for next year. And if you look at that budget, it is a high spending budget by the standards of a normal budget. It's not unusual to find individual lines in that budget, which you have over 50% increases. Many agencies are in the 15 to 20% range, which is a huge increase. But uh, there's a cut in the Border Patrol. I mean, think about that. One of the things you should be doing is you should be calling in Congress to have a special session, hire thousands of new Border Patrol agents, given the crush we have at the border. Instead, in the regular budget that we're going to pass sometime between now and the end of the year, there is no urgency at all at the border. Urgency on every other program you can think of under the sun, we have big increases. But at the border, no, the Biden administration says, no need to spend more money over down there. I mean, just ridiculous. Well, Congressman Grothman, we want to thank you again for joining us. You've uh, packed a lot into this podcast, the Afghanistan situation, the southern border, uh, what's going on in D.C. with the latest spending bill. We greatly appreciate you taking the time and your expertise and sharing that with our listeners. Uh, thank you again for joining us. And we'll have to have you back, quite frankly, to do a deeper dive into some of these subjects and to uh, to give our listeners a greater uh, greater uh, information on all that's going on in this, in this country. Thank you much, Brett. Get every MacGyver Newsmaker podcast delivered directly to your device. Don't miss a single interview with key newsmakers in Wisconsin and beyond. Be sure to subscribe through your favorite podcast app, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play. If you have an idea for a podcast, send us an email at info at MacGyverInstitute.com or follow us at MacGyver Report on Twitter. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, any ideas for guests you would like to hear from, comments, criticism, or whatever else is on your mind. Thanks again for listening to the MacGyver Newsmaker Podcast, and until next time, keep fighting the good fight.